faster than expected. Abrupt climate change and the consequences for us and other living beings on our Earth. No one should be alone in the greatest challenge of our time. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. Here's your host, Wolfgang Werminghausen. Thank you very much, you on the other side, dear listener, for your attention and for your supporting words. This is the 22nd episode of the Faster Than Expected podcast. During the last year, 2017, I have published 12 episodes, including this one. I had a break in the first half of the year. I have not been satisfied with the attention my work has received, especially the German episodes. I recognized that I had two different target groups. The international English-speaking community, who is familiar with abrupt climate change and the resulting near-term human extinction, and the German-speaking group, where scarcely anybody has heard about abruptem Klimawandel. I decided to concentrate on the first group and had a new launch in June 2017, with Listening in the Rainforest, a talk with musician and instrument builder Catherine Thompson, who is living in Thailand. Kind regards to you, Catherine. The podcast had 4,100 total plays in 2017. I had nearly 10,000 hits on the show note pages of my website xwer.de, xwer.de. Now, here are my charts of 2017. The third place in my podcast chart is FTE 18, Exponential Disaster. This episode from October 2017 had 193 plays. That is not really much attention, but I am aware that only a few people in the world want to know something about the upcoming disaster. In this episode I have been talking with the American Disaster Manager Nick from Relief Analysis. I've talked with him about different phases of disaster management, about exponential extreme weather events and about a hospice situation. Let's listen to an excerpt from the interview with Nick. Uh, as you may be aware, our uh, hurricane season here on the eastern seaboard of the United States has been uh, quite exponential uh, in many ways. We had mm. Hurricane Harvey, which dropped over 60 inches of rain in parts of Houston. Uh, Hurricane Irma, which devastated Florida and, and other areas. And of course, Hurricane, Marica, uh, Hurricane Maria, which mm. had a uh, absolutely devastating impact on Puerto Rico and uh, impact so devastating that you're seeing international NGOs such as Oxfam International mm -hmm. uh, attempt to deliver relief operations to that area. So it's it's truly an exponential situation as you referenced in your uh, introduction. It's quite amazing mm -hmm. to see. It's, it's really a four-step cycle mm -hmm. in disaster management. Uh, you begin, of course, with the event and the initial response. And during the response phase, you'll see medical surge, medical operations, uh, search and rescue, whether it could be water search and rescue or urban search and rescue, and your basic uh, 
emergency response functions, uh, life, uh, law enforcement, medical surge, and firefighting services. That's the response mm-hmm. phase. It will then, these disasters roll into a recovery phase. And recovery in, in any disaster is is never easy. It is a long-term prota- protracted process. Uh, it involves many uh, issues that have been long-standing in communities, uh, socioeconomic justice. Sometimes these disasters will mm-hmm. tear the Band-Aid off of long-standing issues in communities. And then there's the mitigation phase where you're trying to prevent future damages avoided by by building back better, smarter, uh, engaging in strategic retreat when appropriate. Uh, and then that finally ties into the last phase of preparedness, which is where you're literally aligning your resources and your assets to prepare for the next disaster. And so these are four interrelated uh, phases of emergency management. And you are seeing them uh, simultaneously stressed when you have multiple mm-hmm. cascading disasters. Wolfgang, I think that's a, a very intriguing paradigm because there still is meaningful action that you can do in a hospice situation or in this very uncertain times when intellectually, I think so many of us have thought this day is coming, seeing cascading disasters and exponentiation. It's one mm-hmm. thing to see it and to write about it. Uh, it's totally another thing to experience it when it's happening. And even for us who've thought about it for a long time, uh, I find myself at times in a, in a state of disbelief or a state of cognitive dissonance myself. And sometimes uh, it's safe to be the ostrich with your head in the sand for a little bit because that sandbox can be somewhat of a, a safe place. What you're doing as well, because it provides so many listeners with a, a safe uh, a safe space, as we said, to be able to process mm-hmm. what is happening. And that is more important than ever. So thank you so much for your service. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Nick, for your kind words. Place 2. FDE 15. Worldwide Connected. Water. This is an episode co-hosted by Kevin Hester from July with 252 plays. We have dedicated this episode to the animals and the burden inflicted on the other species by us, Homo sapiens. Billions of animals are dying and suffering, and 200 species of animals and plants are going extinct every day. Kevin? Wolfgang and I have quite different temp- temp- temperaments, which you will hear, obviously. And yes, this uh, this mutual podcast is a, an experiment to see how we get on in doing this uh, work together. I'll give you one example about water vapor. For every one degree C that we warm the global mean temperature, we get 7% more water vapor in the air. Water vapor is a climate a greenhouse gas. If you go back to the real baseline, which should be about 1700, we're about, according to Paul Beckwith and other um, scientists who I've been following their work, we're somewhere around 1.6 C above Mm. baseline already. Now that's the 1700 baseline, not these much later dates that you often hear quoted in the media. So that means that we've already put 
over 10% more water vapour into the atmosphere. When we go to and through the IPCC worst-case scenarios of 6 degrees Celsius temperature rise, that's looking at another 40% water vapour in the air. That's just one of the multitude of feedback loops that we're talking about unleashing at the moment. There's, there's an, another article we'll put in the show notes is about in Cape Town in South Africa, they've had to cut back on their water usage to survive the worst drought in a 100 years. Mm-hmm. This is one of the problems that we have on a, globally with industrial agriculture, and we've had this incredible population overshoot that very few people want to talk about where we have so many people on the planet We've resorted to industrial agriculture to feed them and to, you know, to grow food to feed them. But what that is, is that we've been using, whether it's in, in, a, in a United States or whether it's in Africa, we've been using fossil water from aquifers. And we've mm-hmm. used that as irrigation to grow this industrial food. Now, that's a finite source of water and that's running out on all of the continents. So we're heading for the perfect storm of. Too many people, not enough food, not enough water. But in reality, all nuclear power stations are dependent on water and at risk of water. In the United States, nuclear plants are at increased risk of, of dam failure. There are 34 nuclear plants in the United States. Mm-hmm which are identified in an NRC 2011 report at being at risk of flood damage due to upstream dam failures. I was born on an island in the South Pacific. Mm. I've sailed a a lot around the world. I did a lot of sailing out of Gibraltar and the Mediterranean. But when I'm in in the central of continents, for some reason I feel out of my comfort zone. I really Mm. need to be near that water. And I think that is a, it's, it's so integral to our survival as a species and our cohabitation with the other species that it should be treated as a sacred object. And unfortunately, humans treat, treat our water like effluent. Thank you, Kevin. And now, ta-ta-ta-ta, the first place of the faster-than-expected charts. FTE 13, Biology for Doomers. This conversation with the one and only Guy McPherson from June 17th had 1,343 plays. What makes a biologist like Guy McPherson suppose that the climate change leads to the demise of the human species? One of the answers we hear in this episode is Habitat, Habitat, Habitat. We were outside playing as children all the time, even if there Mm -hmm. was two feet of snow on the ground, even if it's a warm, sunny summer day. We were outside pretty much all the time. And so my love of nature was instilled very early on in my life. And along the way, I became increasingly attached to appreciative of or in love with the living planet, depending on how far you want to take this. 
but I, I really did come to love the living planet on which we depend for our very existence in ways that most people fail to understand. I came mm. to I came to an awareness about other species and our relation to them that profoundly affected my worldview from the time I was in my late teens onward. If uh, Earth is 4.5 billion years old and we put it in the time span of one day, Homo sapiens is only on Earth for 3.8 seconds, not more than four seconds. One, right. <laughs> two, three, four, and gone. Right, right. Yes. And, you know, so as all conservation biologists know, species come into being, that's called speciation. Species disappear, that's called extinction. When the last individual of a species disappeared, that's called extinction. And then the the really important other component of conservation biology is habitat. Habitat, habitat, habitat. Where does an organism get what it needs to survive? Where does it get its food and its water and its ability to maintain its body temperature and so on? Where do those come from? Well, that's, you know, that's the really important thing here that most people don't understand is that we're human animals. Yeah. We, like, like the other animals on the planet, we depend upon certain things to keep us alive. The global average temperature stabilized at 13.5 degrees Celsius, global average temperature. That was critical. Now, grains can be grown at large scale. Up until that point, there was no such thing as a civilization because there was no ability to store food. Then all of a sudden, a few thousand years ago, civilization started popping up as frequently as trolls on YouTube because of this relatively recent rise in stabilization of temperature. And I think that stabilization is key here. Mm -hmm. What will it take before we won't have civilization again? I think we're on the brink. I think that two degrees is the target that has been proposed because that's when civilization collapses. But that's not a reasonable target for human survival. We've already triggered many, many self-reinforcing feedback loops at, at one degree and less uh, above the 1750 baseline. So we don't know the point at which the inability to grow grains is complete, but I can guarantee we are very close to that time. I don't have to intimately love all species on Earth to recognize that all species on Earth came from a common origin and have, a, as a result of that similar ancestry, have shared DNA that makes us all part of the same soup here, that makes us all part of one great miracle, if you will, certainly mystery about the existence of life on Earth, including human life with our big brains, our big eyes, our ability to see the world as it is and wonder how we came into being is, is one of the greater mysteries that I will carry with me to my final days. Thank you, Guy. Well, I'm not doing this work for clicks in the internet in the first place, but for you, dear listeners. By the way, I enjoy it to produce podcast episodes, and it's mental hygiene for me to talk with people on the same wavelength about this difficult topic. 
In 2018, I will go on with the series about the Arctic. It's funny, I had planned to have weekly episodes in December, but now I'm slower than expected. I hope we'll meet again in 2018. And if you hear this episode in 2018, I see you are back again. Thank you for your attention and stay safe. Faster than expected. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. If you like my podcast, please write a comment and give me a like on SoundCloud. You'll find a link and more information on my website xwer.de slash podcast. Take care.